and you may be seated. By way of reminder again, this is officially All Saints Sunday also. I haven't mentioned that, but I'm go- we're going to quote our boy Luther in just a moment. So in honor of All Saints Day, we'll do that. In honor of All Saints Day, we sing a song like that, Lift High the Cross. I also want to say this, in honor of All Saints Day, if anybody's not busy after church, Karen and I are going to go grab a burger at, what's it called? Hop, Hop Daddy's? Anybody been there? Yeah. Anybody been to Hop Daddy's? Is it good? Yeah. Is this good? If any of you'd like to join us for a burger, we want to get to know everybody, and I know everyone probably has plans. But uh, if you don't have plans, we'd love to hang out and have a burger tonight. In the meantime, it's time to turn to the Word of God. And I, I, I admit it, I'm, I'm like you. When, when, I hear, when I hear this, it's time for our three-week series on stewardship, on investing your lives, uh, encouraging people to give financially and also give of your time and your talents as well as your treasure to the life of the church, there's part of me that says, do we have to do that? Well, yeah, partly because Jesus talked about that more than anything else. He talked about money a lot, and he talked about the stuff that we have, giving it back to him. So we do need to talk about it, um, though we can get tired of it, um, partly because churches have, have done badly at this in the past and have actually used it to, dare I say, manipulate its people. You should do more, and okay, I'll do more. Uh, I was uh, traveling this week, um, and I saw this, this sign um, at Morgan Chapel. Christ died for you. What have you done for him? And I thought, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. The church is not some place where we go to pay back God for the good things that he's done for us. Like we owe him one now since you know, he, he did us a good turn. We owe him a good turn. Or, yeah, or, or we've been solicited into an army now and we have to go fight for God. It's kind of our duty. I always thought that was sad. Um, but but the, church, the church has done this for years and years. It was Martin Luther back in the days of the Reformation. He was frustrated with the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church had turned the gospel on its ear. Instead of the gospel being lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim so that people will adore the Christ, it was the church that became sort of the secret keepers of the salvation mechanisms and put out hurdles before the people. If you do this and you do this and you do this, then the accumulated merit of Jesus will siphon that off to you based on your performance. So if you make sure you get baptized, you make sure that you come to communion all the time, you make sure you do almsgiving, you make sure that you buy indulgences, give money to the church, have masses said in your honor. If you do all that, then, well, like the next, the next slide has uh, this picture. This is a famous old painting of kind of the system of spirituality in the Middle Ages. At the top, you see heaven, you see Jesus up there, and they're partying up there like it's 1999. And then in the middle, you have schleps like us trying to get through life and figure out how to go up instead of down. And then in the down section, you have what's called purgatory. Because even if you do pretty well in this life, according to medieval Catholicism, you've still got some purgation to do, some purging, some scrub down before you're white as snow enough to get to heaven. See, Jesus' blood doesn't forgive you. It's a combination of, yeah, he's got some forgiveness to give you, but it's the combination of your works and that forgiveness, and then maybe you'll get to heaven after a while. 
unless you're some mafioso guy from Italy and you're going to be in purgatory for a long time. But you, even there, you still can go because it's not based on grace, it's based on works. Um, yeah, the next picture. Is that, that disturbing? That's a picture of that, that if you grew up in the church during those days of Luther, you'd have looked at pictures like that and said, oh man, I got I to get up on the second tier here. What do I have to do? And then the church could say what, pretty much whatever it wanted to tell you to make it so you can get to heaven. You go, wow, it's a good thing that the Middle Ages, good thing that that's over because churches would never do anything like that. I grew up in the evangelical church. Now, the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod, has many similarities to the broader evangelical church, but there's a big difference in one major area. So the next picture is an example of evangelical spirituality. Yeah, God, do you you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Okay, well, okay, you're saved, but quite frankly, God's not super happy with you yet. You're in, but you don't want to just be in, you want to get better. So what church becomes is a self-help group with a cross on it. And we come and we have practical insights for living, all of these things, change your habits, change your life, pleasing God, best life now, improving your serve. It's all about advance, self-advance, self-advance. And I used to ask this question when I get a chance to speak to a large group of evangelicals. I could ask it here tonight. It's a Lutheran church. I might get a better, better response than I normally do. How many of you are perfectly happy with your relationship with God right now? And then I see that hand. God bless you and the Lutheranness that dwells within you. Why wouldn't we be thrilled with what God has given us? Because I still feel kind of guilty about my performance. You've been forgiven of that completely, and you have the fullness of Christ in you. Yeah, but I'm, I, I'm not happy with myself. God's happy with you. Yeah, well, I, I have higher standards than God for myself. <laughs> we just have the tendency to be guilty. And there's that coffee cup picture coming here. Stressed, blessed, and coffee obsessed. That's evangelical spirituality. And I grew up in that. And it's easy in those churches, too, when it comes to stewardship week, to say, yeah, God loves you. Isn't it great that you're a Christian? But, you know, God would be super happy with you if you helped out in children's ministry or if you tithe a little bit more. It's all for you. Don't, you'll be blessed, but uh, you know, you sort of ought to do better. And I think probably some of you right now go, yeah, I feel that. I feel like I ought to be a better Christian. And the truth is, you ought to be. But you don't have to be, and the church should certainly never tell you that, that back up one there, Vern. That one, that Peggy Musgrove, pleasing God. Seven steps or whatever to a life that pleases. You're God, you know why God's pleased with you? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus is your righteousness and I don't think God is at all disappointed with Jesus' righteousness, which is yours. It has been imputed to you. You are gold in the eyes of God. And that's what Martin Luther worked hard to protect So in Lutheran churches, we try to stay away from this kind of self-help seminar approach, and we get back to just the joy of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And when it comes to stewardship, that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, My hope is that in just talking about some of these things, maybe some of us have slipped into into these ruts where we feel like, 
God just isn't altogether happy with me right now. God has expectations that aren't being met. God is like a bad mom or a bad dad, kind of a dysfunctional family where I'm not totally sure I'm loved. I think I'm more loved when I'm doing all the right things, but if I slip up, I don't know if the love stays. If you feel like that with God, I hope that tonight is encouraging to you. We're going to take a look at some Bible. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to these passages. I would encourage you to bring your Bible on Saturday night. It's a good thing to have, and it's good for us to actually hold it. Some of you are going, I've got it on my phone. Let's back up to that purgatory slide. All cell phones will be in the purgatory side, and the hard hard copy Bibles will be... No, that's not true. But uh, I'm all for real Bibles, but I'm an old dude. I want to turn to Mark chapter 5. This is a great, great story. So taking a look at this, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him, that is Jesus. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. It's weird. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Was this guy powerful? Yeah, but he was bent and messed up. He was in some sort of internal bondage. And you know what? He's us. I think the writer of the text would say, don't, don't treat this guy as some completely weird guy. This is just like you last time you tried to do a diet. And I could not even subdue myself from the donut. We can't do right ourselves. And instead, what do we end up doing? We actually end up hurting ourselves. Culturally, we get addicted to things and we we damage ourselves. We're so much like this man. We have this incredible strength about us. And on a good day, we think, why don't I just do right all the time? And then we don't. And so this man is like us. In the story now, Jesus takes this man casts out the demon, actually demons, that are inside of him. Remember the story, he he sends them into a herd of swine, and the swine run off the hill. And the swine farmers are disappointed because their pork crop just ran off the edge of the hill. But then we come down to verse 18, and this, this man now has had the demons pulled out of him, and it says he's in his right mind. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Those five words are what I want you to see the most. Jesus didn't turn to, turn to him and say, okay, now, I saved you. Now, can you, I need you to sign up to do some work for this enterprise. No, 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 no. He was so, he was what he was, and then amazing grace hits him, and now he's who he is, and he says, I beg you, please let me just be with you. I want to follow you. I want to go with you. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and sign them up for self-help groups. No. (laughs) Go tell them how much the Lord has done for you, the grace of God, and how he has had mercy on you. You don't have to tell them all this other stuff. Just tell them that, that God is good and that God forgives and that God is love. Go do that. So what did he do? So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. 
begged him to go. Why? Because of what God has done. What else is there? I've been living in the tombs, cutting myself, and everybody thinks I'm a freak show. Now I'm Jesus's. I don't want to go to town because all those people are not going to believe it. They're going to have all these questions I don't have answers for, and they're still going to think that I'm that guy, but I'm a new guy, and I need to go back to my town, and I need to go invest. What else is there except whatever Jesus asked me to do? What else is there? Another great text, Luke chapter 7. All-time favorite. Worship leaders love this text because it has to do with an act of worship. Awkward as it is. So this is Luke chapter 7. He, this is Jesus, he went to the Pharisee's house, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. That's all it says. Whatever that sinful life was, it wasn't just she was harboring a grudge or something like that. Everybody knew it. So it's some sort of public version of sin. Came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is happening in a Pharisee's home dinner party, which is very awkward that this woman would come anywhere near a Pharisee's house at all, much less hang out with these Pharisees and Jesus, who himself was a rabbi. And so she's doing this very awkward gesture. And the, the, the people who are seeing it happen are disappointed on a couple levels. One, she's... She's a slut. We don't, we don't want her in the house. Jesus should know who this woman is and not let her anywhere near him. And then the other thing was, she's just wasting perfume by pouring it in weird places and her hair doesn't work well, it's not very absorbent. It's just a weird thing that's going on here and it's ruining the dinner party. Jesus says, Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking, so Jesus shares this story. Two uh, people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. So that's like $50,000, and the other only owed $5,000. So big difference. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Uh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Did you see this woman? That's a very important line in the story. Did you even see her, really? Or did you just kind of see her reputation and see her actions? But did you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Have you been forgiven much or little? Are you more like the Pharisee, who says, I'm pretty good, you know? conservative. I uh, don't drink or chew or go with girls who do. I'm kind of a straight arrow. And uh, Jesus, grace and mercy doesn't have, it's not as busy with me as it is with others. 
my life is, I'm, I'm like 95% good and I need Jesus like 5% bondo just to kind of fix up the little patches of sin. But I ain't this girl and I ain't the guy in the tombs. I am not that broken. Those people are pieces of work. I'm pretty good. And God is mostly happy with me. Is that you? When we gather in Lutheran circles and we do the classic tradition, we say things together like, we are poor, we are impure, we are miserable sinners. And some people go, that's really awful. That is the truth. We are this woman. We are broken like that. But the problem is, is we start thinking that we are not really forgiven that much. We don't need that much forgiveness. When in reality, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, your righteous acts are like filthy rags. When you do lots of really, really good stuff for God, you're piling up dirty diapers for him as a gift. You're saying the best I've got is bad in God's eyes? No, I'm saying it's as worthwhile in your justification of yourself as a bag of bad laundry. You need the grace and mercy of God for you to do your best, much less your worst. And when you come to grips with the fact that you are forgiven much, like this woman, once she realized, I'm a, I lead a sinful life and I've been forgiven, what else is there? All I've got is perfume, it's yours. Now your feet are wet, all I've got is my hair, it's yours. I, I just want to kiss you, but I can't kiss you on the lips. That'd be really awkward. So I'll, I'll just kiss your feet. I'll just do whatever I can just to pour out my worship for you. What else is there after you've been redeemed by Christ? So do you see where we're going here? Turn now to, if, if you will, the, the Second Peter chapter 1. Let me just say, if, if you've got a church full of these, these two, the woman and the demoniac, the former demoniac, and the continually sinful woman, because she won't be immediately perfect after being saved. She'll just be forgiven. If you have a church full of hearts like that, stewardship week is easy because everybody's just, what, do I, what can I do? I just can't wait to do something out of my gratitude for Jesus. But if you've got a bunch of Pharisees with little faith who just really aren't too jacked up about what God has done for me because, well, you know, he saved me a long time ago and I haven't done very many sins since then, so I, yeah, God's fine. If your God is fine, it's going to be really hard to motivate you to do anything. But if you've been touched by the grace of God in the fullness of that grace and who you really are and what you really are now because of that, I wouldn't, I don't even have to say anything. You'd be running around looking for something to do. Take a look at this. Peter, who was a doofus himself and had issues in his following with Jesus, had this to say in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. First of all, he talks about salvation. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Wow. God in his fullness has given us everything. How? Through our knowledge of him who called us. And how did he call us? By his own glory and his own goodness, God picked us and gave us everything, pumped us full of everything. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature 
having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires, like Mark 5 and Luke 7. So take, next, next slide. Let's break this down. God, the good and glorious one, divinely powerful, the God who made the heavens and the earth and makes everything and sustains everything all the time, he saves you from the damage of your own sinfulness. Oh, God, thank you. But what else does he do? He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you know that? You have everything you need. He's given us understanding of his truth so that we, we get it. We aren't in the dark anymore. He's made incredible promises of his blessing. Not only blessing now, I know that I will see the blessing of the Lord in the land of the living, but I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him on that day. We have promises. We've got Advent coming up, which is future hope, but we have blessings now because of Christ. And he invites us to, get this, participate in the divine nature. God says, it's not enough for me to like you a lot and clear your accounts and give you a heavenly dwelling. I'm gonna park myself in you. I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to live in you. God himself resides in you. When you just stop and you go over that, isn't there something in, in your heart that just snaps? I, 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 what? I get all of that? Now look at the next verse. Peter says, there it is, For this reason, for this very reason, what very reason? That God has saved you like this, that you've got this package deal with God. Now, make every effort. Is it bad to effort for the kingdom of God? No. But why do we effort? Because of what God's done. That's what gives us our motivation. That's what gives us us the power to do stuff, but also gives us the vision and the, the heart's desire to walk in it. Make every effort to add to this faith that you have in Christ. Goodness. Now we're talking about doing good. And to goodness, learning more, having some knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. Not just letting your body run amok, but actually tucking it in a little bit and following the directives of the scriptures. To self-control, perseverance. Hanging in there even when it's hard to obey. And to perseverance, godliness. Become more and more godish in your life. That people might mistake you for God more often. That you look more like Jesus. And to godliness, mutual affection. Hug and handshake and be nice for crying out loud. And on top of that, love, which is self-sacrificial, agape love, like doing something for others out of a spirit of sacrifice. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it good for us to be effective and productive and to be full of effort? Of course it's good. But why? Because of what God has done. Because we just can't stand it. We've just got to follow after God. Now, with that, with your heart pumped up, now make your effort and follow after Christ boldly and richly. But the next verse is really important because it says, but whoever does not have them, like all of these traits, needs to suck it up and work harder. Wait, wait, that's not, that's not. Next verse. You, you have messed that slide up, Vern. This is the one. Whoever does not have them, get this, is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. See, they forgot. 
You forgot what God did. You forgot that you're forgiven. You forgot that you're completely saved. You forgot the package deal that God has lined you up with. And I think you started drifting into a life where you're trying to live it well. You're trying to do good works. You're trying to make something of yourself. And you've left God in the distance. And now somebody comes up and says, make an effort to be godly and self-controlled and persevered and loving. And you go, that feels like duty now. Back up. You need to back up and remember you've been forgiven of your, you've been cleansed of your past sins. Little cross. Are you a little cross person or a big cross person? We just sang lift high the cross. That's a little cross. You know who little cross people are? God's okay. He's a nice chap. I guess I like God more than I like there not being a God. I don't really read his book very often because I saw the movie. God's okay. And I'm all right too. I don't sin that much. So you got an okay God and you think you got an okay life. And the redemption of Jesus is this tiny little thing that connects that tiny little distance between you and God. That's little cross people. Little cross people are little worshipers. They walk into church and they go, let's sing this song of praise to God. Yeah, whatever. We don't have to stand, do we? I'm, I'm not really a singer, so I'm just going to stand here and uh, I'll, I'll lip sync. And uh, actually, I'm going to check the score of the Cardinals game during verse 3. Or you can be a big cross person. How sinful are you? I am eternally separated from God. I am Mark 5 and I am Luke 7. And I am desperate for a God who is so far above me, I don't deserve him for anything. How could that God in his divine goodness and glory possibly come to crappy little me and call me his child? See how big your cross is? It is eternally that way, and it's eternally that way. And you get a group full of worshipers who feel like that, you can't shut them up. Now you're going, is there a closing song? I'm going to have to sing really loud here tonight, or else uh, (laughs) everyone's going to be looking at each other going, you big cross, small cross. (laughs) How big is your cross, though? Are you thankful or not? And if you're not, it's probably just because you forgot or maybe you stumbled into church more like, more like a self-help group kind of church that said, why don't you come and follow after God? Okay, we're, we're all kind of at it here, so let's, let's work this salvation thing out. <sighs> maybe you need to find a good Lutheran church that says, oh, it's, it's not about that. You don't come to a worship service to serve God with your worship. You come to worship service because you're invited to table and God serves you. Here's my body and my blood. Here is my word. I'm going to inhabit your praises as you praise God together. I pour myself into your pitiful little 
this pitiful little group of people who desperately needs me, and by me inhabiting them, filling them with the Holy Spirit, when we baptize people, we pray, God, fill that little child with the Holy Spirit, because we're a community that if you aren't residing in us, we're nothing, but with you in us, we become partakers of the divine nature. Oh my gosh, do you know what's going on at Shepherd of the Desert on Shea and 96 every Sunday? The people of God are experiencing God together. Ah, it's amazing. And then we, then we say, then Audrey goes, let's sing. Uh, if we sing one more song this morning, one more song that I don't know, we forgot. Martin Luther was a big cross person. You were here last week, so you heard this quote. I'm blessing Mountain View with this quote because it's so good. Because you have taken hold of Christ by faith, you should now go and love your neighbor. Do good to your neighbor and serve him. Do your duty. These are truly good works. Yes, sign up for church stuff. Be a part of the, uh, the stewardship campaign during this month. But the next, these are good works which flow from this faith and joy conceived in the heart because we have forgiveness of sins freely through Christ. Then when I hear that good works should be performed, I'll say, Fine, I shall gladly do this. What else is there? What else is there? So no guilt trips, no sign-up sheets. The one thing needful. Did I skip a slide? I close with the Grinch because you see him now in stores. It's only the first week in November, but he's already there. Remember the story? The Grinch, his heart grew three sizes that night. The internal change that happened to the Grinch because he was confronted with self-sacrificial, selfless love, he changed on the inside. If you sat the Grinch down in a self-help group, it would not go well until the internal change. Has your, are, are you a triple XL heart for Christ? That's all I'm asking you to be tonight. No sign-up sheets. If Christ is so great, then we'll be, it'll be impossible to control. It'll just be a matter of siphoning everybody's relentless energy into whatever it is that we're doing. But without that big heart, we're sunk. So my encouragement to you, let me pray over you and uh, ask God to, hopefully by the power of his word, encourage a big heart towards him. Dear Lord, we are sorry that we forget. We're sorry we're like the people of Israel who saw you bring us through the Red Sea and then a week later are missing the onions so bad that we rebel against you. We're just like that. Lord, you've saved us now and forever and you bless us, but we still, God, we just get chippy and we get short-sighted. I pray, God, that you would recapture everybody in this room right now with the fullness of what it is to be saved, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. That, that, that stirs us. Stir us by your spirit. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to receive.